0: If you are a regular listener of our show, it's no surprise that we like to talk about documentaries, TV shows, movies that relate to mental health because mental health and well-being are the main focus of the show. Well, I would say being a human being in all of its forms, messy or not with an emphasis on our mental health and emotional well-being is the core of the show, This Might Get Uncomfortable. And about a week ago, or sometime in the past week as of the time we're recording in early June 2021, this new, quote, comedy special came out on Netflix called Inside by Bo Burnham. And it was all over my Instagram, I mean, my TikTok I was seeing a ton of people posting about it. In fact, people started to wonder why a lot of people were talking about the special. Was it because it was really resonating with them or was there like some stealth promotional marketing tactic that was going on by Netflix, which would have been really smart, but I didn't see hashtag ad or sponsored or anything. So I really believe that people were very much drawn to this special and it was really resonating with them. So I watched it. And then after I watched it, because I was engaging with that type of content on TikTok, I just keep seeing more and more people posting about it. That's how TikTok works. Once you start liking something with a certain hashtag or subject matter, you'll see a lot of it. And now I'm stuck in Bo Burnham, a side of, of TikTok, which is fine with me because first of all, If you're not familiar with him, he is a – I want to say comedian, but I really feel like performer is a better way to describe him because he's also been in movies like Promising Young Woman, which I saw a few months ago, I think, maybe a month ago. And I absolutely loved – I highly recommend – That film. And I remember looking him up because he looked familiar to me, but I didn't know why. So I must have seen him and vaguely known about him. But inside his new special on Netflix is really what got me to fully know who this man is. And now I, I feel a little bit obsessed <laughs> as often happens when, when you're introduced to something and you just get deep down in that rabbit hole. And I've been watching some of his other work and I want to have a better understanding of him because I think he's really wise. He recently turned 30 years old and it's pretty remarkable. His commentary on the world from the lens of someone who's relatively young, it feels like somebody in like their sixties or something. Like I was telling Jason how he kind of reminds me of where Jim Carrey has been recently, where Jim Carrey like grew out his hair and his beard and was just kind of like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just going to speak the truth. And I'm not just about making jokes all the time. I want to get really existential. And I've now watched this special Inside three times, twice yesterday, because I wanted to rewatch it for the discussion today. And then Jason watched it like a couple hours after I watched it the second time. And I was like, what the hell? I'll watch it a third time. (laughs) And it kind of reminds me of when I watched Hamilton. (laughs) First of all, what they have in common is their music. And inside, even though it's positioned as a bit of like a comedy special, it's mostly music. And I found out that's Bo Burnham style because I watched his special from 2016, which is a high percentage of music as well. He plays the piano and the guitar and he's got all these like flashing lights. And it's really neat to contrast those two specials because the 2016 performance was done on stage, like a typical comedy special. And this 2021 special inside is done inside. And it's a lot about the experience we collectively had in 2020 when many of us were staying inside and quarantining. But his perspective is also coming from somebody who had some mental health challenges. He speaks to how he had to take, I think, five years off from performing For his mental health, he was having panic attacks. And so that was really interesting to go back to the 2016 special, which I can't remember what that one is called, but that's also on Netflix. And just to see like he was he was alluding to mental health, it was woven in, he was saying some similar things back then, being only twenty-five, and again also feeling so wise back then, but seeing his production value and how he uses his lights and how he was doing that with the crew in 2016 and t- 2021, which makes inside so special is he wrote it all he directed it he he did most of the producing although if you stay and watch the credits at the end of that special you'll see other people were involved but for the most part it was a one-man show and that also is interesting for me and jason and anyone else who's been a content creator who has done a lot of things on their own it's very impressive that I, i just kept Watching and thinking, wow, like his ability to write his acts, to perform them with the music, the lighting, the the film, the camera angles and the editing. I mean, it's truly phenomenal just watching it and going back to like the Hamilton side of it. I watched Hamilton for the first time because it got very hyped up online and I had heard about Hamilton for years and I was like, fine, I'll watch it when it comes out on Disney+. Plus. And I remember Jason, like feeling like a little bit of dread. I forget how long Hamilton is. Like, I think it's over two hours. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be into this. I'm not that into musicals. And I felt a little of that the first time I watched Inside where I was like, okay, everyone's talking about this. I just kind of want to get through it. And there were moments that I really enjoyed it. And then the more, the longer I was watching the special, much like Hamilton, the more I got into it. And the two equate to each other where I feel like I can watch both over and over and over again. The music gets stuck in my head, both Hamilton and inside. And I just keep like wanting to re-listen and re-watch them to pick up on different things because there's so much going on. I think the first time you watch either, even though they're very different in a lot of ways, what they have in common is there's so much going on in each word. And if you just like put the subtitles on to both shows, both Hamilton and Inside, and you just like dissect each phrase, there's so much packed into the songs. There's so much meaning and there's so much to reflect upon. So I will likely watch it a fourth time, maybe more. Inside, that is. I I don't know. how I've listened to Hamilton's soundtrack countless times, but I think I've watched Hamilton two or three times now. Anyways, that was my experience of it. And there's so much to discuss today beyond the production value and the performance and the writing and all of that. There's a lot of depth to it and a lot pertaining to mental health. Before I share some of my findings, as I've taken notes through multiple watching, Jason just watched it last night, less than 24 hours ago on June 4th, 2021. And I'm curious, Jason, How did you feel last night and how are you feeling today as as you've reflected on it for this episode and just personally taking it in and literally sleeping on it? Well, I guess not literally, you didn't literally sleep on top of the Netflix special, but but (laughs) sleeping on it in the sense that you watched it before bed and you slept and then you woke up and I imagine you've been processing it since.
1: I did sleep in a pile, a puddle of my own drool. I did do that. I did do that. Been having some congestion issues lately and mouth breathing at night. I know it's probably not the best for me, but it happens.
0: Wait a second. What happened to those breathe strips that we got thanks to our friend and former podcast guest, Sid? Didn't you got some of – what are they called? Simply Breathe?
1: Yeah, I haven't tried it yet.
0: Oh, well, here you go. Perfect – opportunity yeah throwback to the episode with sid which we will link to in our show notes at wellevator.com w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com for those who haven't visited Uh, sid recommended these strips for your mouth that help you breathe through your nose so jason maybe this is your chance to finally try them
1: i mean yes i there's a lot of products in the queue that i have not yet tried but it's it's they're in there I have a lot of very mixed feelings about inside and, you know, it was interesting because the way that you positioned it was you said something in our text thread alluding to the fact that I might need time to emotionally process it. And anytime I hear that, I'm like, oh, great. What am I signing up for now? Because I'm extremely sensitive person and I struggle with depression and suicidal ideation. We've talked about that ad nauseum on the podcast. And so whenever I hear that, you're going to need time to emotionally process what you're watching. I kind of gird myself for what I'm about to experience. My initial impression was that I thought it was, and I don't use this word wantonly, I thought it was genius, create, like genius level creativity, not just the music he wrote and sung but as you said, the production value, the lighting, the editing, the camera angles. I mean, it, it was mind-blowing to me the level of detail and complexity and also the intelligence of what, how he wrote the songs and the lyrics. I mean, it, it was one of those things where I was like, this is virtuosic level of creativity. I mean, it was it was spectacular in terms of its creativity. I didn't laugh as much as I did sit there and reflect on the messaging and what I was witnessing and trying to digest it as an artist and kind of analyze what he was doing. I did laugh at certain points. There were certain songs where I I just, you know, I mean, it was so radically self-effacing either regarding his life or his perspective on social media, his perspective on racism. It, It was the perspectives were, Absolutely mind-blowing, the level of intelligence and detail. I think the mixed feelings come in because, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get way deep into some specifics here, but generally, I left feeling, what is the word? You use the word existential. And I feel like my girlfriend Laura teases me sometimes because I get so out there and I get so existential and I, I just think about why are we here? What are we doing? What is the point of all this? And I feel like his exploration in this special, I didn't walk away feeling hopeful. I walked away feeling like, well, how do I even say? There's so much I'm trying to unpack in real time. I left feeling confused. And here's why I left feeling confused. The way that he frames the context of this special, in my opinion, was that he was living in this very small dimly lit with very few windows studio for the last year working on this special. He sleeps there. He has a tiny kitchenette. He's only got like four windows, all of his equipment, his musical equipment, his cords, camera, his lighting is just strewn about like a fucking mess, like a bomb hit it. I mean, it's so real in that way. If you see his creative space and it's just, everything is everywhere. It's so real in that way. And I, I don't know if this was his intention, but I left with the impression of knowing nothing about Bo Burnham. He's living in this studio where I don't know where he's confined himself to try and finish this special in a year. And it kind of shows his struggle with that creative journey. But afterward, you know, I left and I was like, I want to research more about, about Bo Burnham. Let me see who this guy is. Right. So I go to his wiki page. I start looking. It's like, oh, he lives in L.A. Okay. Oh, and his life partner is this very well-known screenwriter, and like they both live in Los Angeles. And then I did a little bit of digging, and I'm like, oh, he actually doesn't live in that space. That's his guest house on his property. So he has a property where there's a main house and there's a guest house. And I want to qualify what I'm about to say with more detail. But then I was like, oh, so he's not like this starving artist living in a studio in L.A., like working, living, eating, sleeping in this very tiny space. He actually has like whatever, a compound like there, there's a main house and there's a there's a guest house in the back. Well, that takes away a little bit of the authenticity of it for me, because the way that he framed it to me was he's living, sleeping, eating, breathing, shitting, losing his mind in this very confined space. Now, I don't know this for sure if he like was like, hey, honey, to his partner, like I'm going to go live in the back house for a year and I may see you. I may not. I don't know. I don't know the context of that negotiation of that relationship. But knowing that he had the ability to leave that space, go into the main house, be with his wife, gives me the impression he wasn't as alone as he purported himself to be. That's the first thing. Okay, I'm not shitting on Bo. I'm just saying uh, it was my impression he he made it look that way. And then went into the reality of his actual life situation. I'm like, oh, well, so he had he kind of had an out then. He could visit his wife. He could go to the main house. Again, he's not some starving artist in a studio being all claustrophobic. That doesn't take away from his mental health struggles. That doesn't take away from the realness of certain moments I experienced. But it the reality is different, in my opinion, than what he sort of purported it to be. That's how I walked away from it. Again, it doesn't necessarily take away from the potency of the message, but it makes me wonder, Whitney, there were moments that he was sort of having like a mental breakdown at certain points, right? It makes me wonder what was true and what was dialed in or if he was acting, was he actually depressed? Was he actually having a mental breakdown or was he acting like he was? Like And that's what I mean. It almost, as a viewer, questions my level of trust in him versus this is the real Bo and this is the performer Bo acting depressed and acting like he's having a mental breakdown, acting like he's suicidal. Because there was a point in there where he's talking about he wanted to kill himself. He's turning 30 and he's like, and then he cuts away. He's like, I'm not actually, you shouldn't actually kill yourself. He's like, if you're thinking about suicide, you shouldn't actually do it. And then at one point he's like, yeah he said something about like, I'm not going to kill myself now. I'm going to wait till I'm 40 to do it. And so it's like, are you really like I left walking away feeling blown away by the creativity, blown away by the production, blown away by his, his artistic virtuosity, but questioning the authenticity of what he was actually sharing in those moments.
0: Well, my question is, does it need to be authentic? I mean, I see what you're saying because I mean, he doesn't position it as, this is me and my real life, you know, like, and one of the most enlightened perspectives I saw on this so far is that it doesn't matter if it's about him and real, or if it's a made up character. The whole point is the experience as a viewer and what that reflects back to us about our own state of being, just like any art form. It's like when you watch a movie and the ending is vague and the director or screenwriter will never tell you the answer. Like They always say, "like that's up to you to interpret. And it's really frustrating. You're like, I want to know the truth. I want to know what you meant it to be. But that's not the point of entertainment. Entertainment is really all in the eyes of the beholder. And I think what you're describing, Jason, is a natural thing. And, and I wonder... Did part of you feel disappointed because you were hoping that it was relatable? Like, oh, I'm going through this. So is he. I'm not alone. And did part of you feel like when you discovered what you perceived to be the reality of the situation that you were almost disappointed because you're like, oh, it's not as relatable as I thought it was. Like, maybe I am alone.
1: 100%. Yes. And it it does blur the line between reality and performance art. Because if this was a performance art piece, and to your point, as an artist creating art, you leave things up to the interpretation of the viewer or the consumer. Agreed with that. The thing that I left with was what was real here and what was performance art. And I probably do need to watch it a second time to glean a deeper emotional sense of what I'm watching it doesn't take away from the potency of his scathing and brilliant social commentary, talking about race, talking about white privilege, talking about sexting, talking about white girls on Instagram, talking about Jeff Bezos. I mean, there were so many moments where I was like, "This is fucking genius." I keep using the word; it's fucking genius. Not just the incredible earworms and level of catchiness of the songs he was writing, and the complexity of the songs but his scathing and real commentary on so many strange and bizarre aspects of our lives on this planet right now, all of that, it doesn't diminish any of that. What leaves me feeling funny is the blurring of performance art and reality. Because again, my impression right after I finished at 1230 last night, was wow he was so lonely and like this was really hard for him and you know there's moments of him pulling out the the out couch and sleeping on the couch and showing him waking up and him eating a bowl of cereal in this tiny ass kitchen and, and again it's all up to the viewer's interpretation because never did he say i'm living in this room for a year by myself he never said that but my impression of it based on the context in which he gave eating the cereal waking up falling to sleep on this pullout couch was like, he's living in this space. And again, when I go and do research, like, oh, you know, if you have a guest house on your property in LA, you're doing fine. Okay. Let me just make a sweeping generalization. You ain't, you know, you're doing, you know, economically speaking, not mentally or emotionally, you're fine if you have a fucking guest house in LA. Okay. Just let me say that. So again, it's this thing of like, the lot, the line, bling, being blurred between performance art and reality, and I'm still not quite sure what was real and what what was performance here, and that's okay. I don't. I'm not hating on Bo. It just leaves me confused about what his intention was here, and we may never know.
0: But also, when you say you're fine, you mean you're financially fine. I mean, he's not. That's saying what I he's said. Not, yeah, but he's he's not saying he's not financially fine. Because anyone who, I mean, you can do quick research to see all of his accomplishments. Like he's had so much success, which we can imagine has some financial success. But the show's about his mental state. And as we know, some of the wealthiest, most successful people are the most miserable. And I think the fact that he's, he literally turns 30 years old in the special, there's one of the, I was going to say segments or bits, but like one of the what's,
1: vignettes, what's yeah,
0: v- vignettes is a good word. He shows the clock turning to his birthday and turning 30, which was also really neat. And I think interesting and relatable because a lot of people have this like fear around turning 30, turning 40. It's like, once you turn 30, all the other big birthdays feel like something collectively people dread, which seems ridiculous to me. That's a a super relatable thing. So here he is turning 30 and all the weight from our society that comes with turning 30 and any age beyond that. And yet 30 is so young, but he's a successful performer turning 30 years old and seemingly miserable, having just come out of a five-year break of needing time away from his work. I also wonder Jason, like how he feels about the reception around this. Cause it's like this film, this special felt like, I don't give a fuck what you think like this. It's also one interesting, like, did he make this because he was under contract or did he make it because he really wanted to, like, that was another question that I had. Because there were times where he shows the behind the scenes. And again, whether it's real or acting, I don't know. I hope that there were at least glimmers of truth within those little moments. Part of what makes it a really incredible piece of art is like in between the songs and the vignettes there, he shows the quote behind the scenes of him like struggling to set things up and write songs and getting frustrated and Burnt out, and like you said, sleeping on the couch and waking up, like you see those experiences, which for any of us who are artists, content creators, performers, we can all relate to that. And I kept wondering is he enjoying this process? There was a moment where he says, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to finish this, but it almost was like he was hoping he would never finish it. And then part of me is like, maybe he is enjoying it. Or maybe he's like most artists where they never feel like it's good enough. So they're just going to continue working with something and procrastinate the release. You know, like I'm at that point right now, Jason, I have this one video that I've been working on for almost two years. And I hate working on it. And I also like really enjoy working on it. And I'm getting closer and closer to releasing it. But nobody says I have to release on a certain day, I can release it whenever I want. The only pressure I feel is like, will this content still be relevant when it comes out two years after i originally made the footage. But it's like, what the hell is taking me so long? I'm doing all these little tweaks on it wanting to make it quote perfect but like i'm sure the version of it from last year is just as good as the version that i keep working on you know so that was very relatable but i again my question kept going like okay why is he doing this project is he getting paid a lot of money is he under contract with netflix is he really driven to express this part and how does he feel about the release now that it's done you know like many creators like are just want to finish something and like don't even want to hear people's feedback and they won't even pay attention they won't read the reviews and some people do they're obsessed with it and they want it and part of me is like i wonder how he feels about people like learning about him for the first time because of this people like us that didn't even really know who he was and now i'm like wow i'm such a fan of his work How does he feel about all these different interpretations and is he paying any attention to it? Like, I'm so curious, Jason, because it's such an intimate, you almost feel like you're in the room with him watching that special. And it must feel really weird to release that and then get all this commentary flooding in from people all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting how if you're an artist and you're doing creative work in the world where you are on the spectrum of wanting feedback, inviting feedback, reviews, criticism, etc. Or some artists don't even watch their own work anymore. I remember years ago reading an interview with Johnny Depp, and he said he never watches his own movies. He'll shoot a movie, they'll rap, he'll never watch it. I actually prefer, to be honest, not watching my stuff after it's done. Because I feel like what happens is... If I do something and it's done and it's edited and put out in the world, I can't change it. It is what it is. And generally, no amount of feedback or reviews or comments or social media is going to make me a better performer. It just doesn't. And so I'm more on the spectrum of put it out in the world and then just like let it go. And I don't want to rewatch it. I don't want the comments. And, and, And even years ago on my YouTube channel, I remember someone said something to the effect of... Don't bother asking Jason a question. He never responds to the comments here anyway. And I'm like, no, I don't, because most of you, A, and I want to say this, I believe as artists, not many of say as artists, but as a human being with, you know, an innumerable number of inboxes and ways to be DM'd and emails, this may be controversial. I don't owe anybody a response. I don't. You know, I went into my Facebook DMs the other day, and there's just a, there's more than I can count in there. You're right. And I had this moment of like, oh God, I need it. And I was like, wait, 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 is this your mom? Are these your close friends? Are these, no, like you don't know these people. You don't owe them a response. I don't owe anybody the time to go through 300 DMs in my fucking Facebook and I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? And so I think there is a part for me mentally managing my mental health that I have to unplug from the desire to feel like I have to respond to people. That's my perspective. Some people may feel differently. Some people are like, no, but that's how you build your fan base. You know, people feel seen. They feel loved. I'm like, it's not important to me to spend the time responding to 300 people I don't know in my Facebook DM inbox. That's a tangent, but I think it's related. The other side of this too, Whitney, I think is, you know, Beau al- alluded to at the beginning, I think, of the special, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but something about wanting To keep doing this special and not wanting to finish it because then he'd have to face his depression, his loneliness, his anxiety. He phrased it differently, but he did say at one point that this is a distraction from facing those things. And I think art and creativity, you talked earlier about a flow state. And I think when we are super hyper-focused on editing, music, writing, painting, performing – There is a level of, we're not thinking about how sad we are. We're not thinking about how much we want to kill ourselves. We're not thinking about how shitty we perceive our lives to be or the problems in our relationship. So it's almost like creativity can become an addiction. The more I write, the more I perform, the more I play my music, the more I sketch, whatever the medium is, it becomes an escape. It becomes almost a way to channel that pain, but simultaneously an escape from the pain. And one of the things I gleaned from it was that was one of the reasons he didn't want to end it, is like that he'd have to finally face the anxiety, the depression. He joked about suicide, but I kind of feel like sometimes when we joke about things, it means that it's really fucking painful. At least when, you know, when I joke about killing myself, it's because it's really painful. And joking about it is a way for me to i don't know maybe not make it feel so heavy even though it is really fucking heavy and that's what i walked away when he was talking about suicide and not killing himself i'm like i think you're saying this because you do want to kill yourself i could be wrong but that was my impression you know and i think creativity and artistic expression becomes a distraction and an addiction so that maybe we don't have to face the deeper more painful things that are going on in our lives that was a big part of what i walked away from watching it did you get a similar impression at all
0: yeah, there was a number of things that he said. First of all, you know, we don't take suicide lightly at all. One thing I was a little surprised by is at the very, very end, I think the last screen of it, if you stuck through the credits, there was one for a, a suicide helpline. Netflix actually has a website called wantatalkaboutit.com, which I never visited before. And it's like a whole resource based on all their programs. And so if you watch something and you need a resource, you can go there and they have like a very well laid out place to learn and get help. And I wish that had been on the screen sooner. I was surprised people had even mentioned on TikTok that that screen was up, but I was expecting it to be like the very first screen you saw, which I think would have made a lot more sense. Because it certainly brought up a lot of emotions watching that. you know I think if you don't make it all the way through the film it's or the the special whatever you want to call it, then it's not resonating with you. but if you watch that entire thing, you're gonna be left feeling a lot of intense emotions. I don't think people have the tolerance or patience to watch something like that if they're not deeply in it, you know and if it's not relatable he said a couple interesting things and there were a couple interesting vignettes around suicide and trigger warning here, just for anyone who has made it this far that's sensitive to this. One, there was that vignette where he was almost reenacting the end of a YouTube video, Jason, that classic whimsical, thank you so much for watching. And what's so interesting about his performances in this is that they all feel like commentary on the cliche behavior of people in certain categories. Like you mentioned, there's that one song about white women's Instagram which is really funny. It stands out as one of the if you're going to laugh out loud, it you're laughing cuz it's very relatable and you and I can laugh as a white woman. I felt like a sigh of relief that I hadn't done most of those cliché things that he pointed out. Like for those who haven't watched it yet, he He shows like himself doing, (laughs) doing the things that white women typically do in their Instagram. And I told Jason about this offline how there are a few women on TikTok who made videos saying guilty as charged. And they showed like a montage of themselves in the exact same outfits with doing the same things like clearly Bo Burnham went on Instagram and looked up all the cliche things that white women post. And I watched that feeling like a little uncomfortable, like actually, a number of segments in this special made me uncomfortable. And I want to talk about that with you too, Jason. But to go back to the suicide to wrap that part off, he had that whimsical like, thank you for watching. And he slowly reveals that he's holding a knife. And it said so much because it was like, it was what i think you i mean jason to be transparent but something that you've admitted yourself you have a certain persona that you put on beyond your real self you have your youtube personality you have a little bit of a podcast personality sometimes not not all the time but like you have that that veil that mask that you put on and i've known you well enough to know there's a very different jason behind the scenes And metaphorically, like there are plenty of times that you've recorded things where you might as well have been holding a knife because you might feel like you're doing this whimsical performance, but deep down you're really unhappy. And that vignette I thought was very poignant and not, and not one that a lot of people will talk about. But I think there's also a segment. I don't know if you understood what this meant, Jason, where he's watching his first YouTube video is projected on the wall and he started as a YouTuber. And so seeing him just watching himself and where he began and who he was back then, like he doesn't even say anything. So it's up to you as the viewer to determine what that means. And then the other suicidal point that really stuck with me big time. And I'm curious about how you felt hearing these words, Jason, he's like, Something around it, like, I don't want to be dead. I don't want to kill myself, but if I could kill myself for a year or 18 months, I would do it. And he's like, you know, killing yourself is permanent, but if I could basically temporarily kill myself and then come back afterwards, I would. And I thought, wow, like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that in those words, you know, like put it that way. And I think. That's a very, very relatable thing. Even if you haven't had suicidal thoughts, I think many of us yearn to put our lives on hold, to press the pause button, to literally do nothing, to disappear. That to me is a very relatable thought process. I, I think parents often feel that way. Like they don't necessarily regret having children, but they wish that they could just like be away from their kids for a while take a break, like take a break from their job, take a break from their family, take a break from whatever it is that they're doing. It's because we enjoy life and we don't want it to entirely end and we don't necessarily need it to change for good, but maybe just like, can we hold everything in place? I think also people in relationships will feel this way. Like I, I love my partner but I wish that I could like press pause and go do something else for a bit and then come back and resume. How did you feel when you saw that part, Jason?
1: Well, I, I want to comment first on the scene that you talked about him watching his his first YouTube video. He started on YouTube in 2006, so he was 16 years old when he started on YouTube, right? So you're seeing a 30-year-old man watching his first YouTube video at 16 years old. And What I came away with from that scene, and I think overall, the whole thing, but that scene in particular, was the futility of the whole thing. The futility of the whole thing. In the sense that, as a 16-year-old, you have these big hopes, these big dreams. And if you kind of look at the arc of his career, I believe he was the youngest person ever to get a Comedy Central special. He was 18. You know, so you have this human being who is been met with pretty extraordinary success at a very young age as a comedian. That's extraordinary to have that level of success and that, you know, he has apparently over 300 million views on YouTube. And here he is turning 30 as this 30 year old man looking back at the past 14 years of his life. And I got the sense of my impression of it was like, what does it all matter? What's all this for? Why are we even doing all this shit? You know, that was my lens on it, was him kind of reviewing the last decade and a half of his life and being like, I don't know that he felt hopeless, but I think there's a really morbid, painful feeling as an artist and a creator and a, a content creator. When you put out so much energy, so much effort, you hit these huge goals, these big life dreams, and then you're on the other side of it. And it's almost this question of like, now what? Now what? So I don't know if hopelessness is the right word, but that scene in particular got me because it kind of made me review what I've done the past decade and a half and been like, here I am, you know, here I am. Like all the success or the fame or the notoriety doesn't take us out of ourselves. Like at the end of the day, when we rest our heads down, we still have to deal with who we are and what we think we are. Like it's, I don't know. I left feeling like, you know, Fame, money, attention, success, notoriety doesn't flip some magical switch saying we're never going to feel suicidal, depressed, manic, anxious, sad. I don't know. I just I left with a very strange feeling in that scene. And and the second question, I totally forgot about what the second question you asked was. Shit. I was so deep into that.
0: When he said that he wishes that he could kill himself and come back after a year, or 18 months.
1: OK, yes. My version of that. Is I want to disappear. I have fantasies, Whitney. I've actually never told anybody this. I have fantasies a lot of taking my phone and destroying it, grabbing all the animals, packing up in my car and just leaving and not telling anyone.
0: Not even Laura, your girlfriend? No, uh,
1: no. I may as well be dead to everyone. I may as well be dead. I may as well be dead.
0: What about your mom?
1: No. Literally no one literally i have fantasies of not killing myself temporarily for a year when he said that i was like oh my version is i want to literally detonate my life and start over somewhere else where no one knows me no one knows my past accomplishments no one has any expectations of me or what they think i should be and that i just like completely wipe the slate clean of my life not not kill myself by wiping the slate clean but Literally, you can't text me. You can't call me. I delete all my social accounts. So you can't DM me, like disappearing from life. And no one's going to fucking find me. I have that fantasy so often.
0: But for what reason, honestly? Like, I, first of all, not to like minimize that, Jason, but it reminds me of another TikTok. I can't remember if I said that, sent this to you or not, but I think I've seen a few people point out how a lot of people have this desire to move and start over and they do it and then nothing changes. They still feel the same way when they get there and they realize that the location has nothing to do with feeling better. Starting over with friends or relationships of any type isn't easy and it doesn't improve things. And and I remember seeing that and thinking of you. So I don't, I don't know if I sent that there was at least one video about this and, um, you know, I, you talk often about moving, Jason, and, and when I saw that video, I thought of you because I wondered sometimes, like, is moving kind of a gentler way to achieve what you just described, and how would you feel if you packed up and moved and everyone knew about it, you brought your girlfriend and, you know, your animals and whatever, and you did it in, in a more, quote, socially acceptable way? than what you just described, like, how would you feel if you got somewhere else and then still felt the exact same way that you do right now living in Los Angeles?
1: Well, I've lived enough life to this point, And I have moved. I mean, I moved out of my hometown of Detroit, right? I lived in Chicago. I lived in New York City. I lived in the Bay Area. I've been in LA. So it's not that I haven't moved. I moved a lot in my life. And in those cities have moved a lot in those cities. I mean, I've had a shit ton of different places I've lived in in 14 years in LA. So to
0: clarify, I know that about you. And maybe our audience or the listener right now doesn't. Right. But my question is like, Jason, right now, because you bring up moving and, and oftentimes when you talk about wanting to move, it seems to be. Related to your mental state as if you're you're hoping that by moving you will feel better. Am I am I often saying that? Yeah, I know there's financial incentives, but like, but I feel like the financial incentive is also tied into your mental state. And that also another way of examining this to your point earlier with with Bo having success. You know, he's 30 years old, and he's feeling this way. And that's like a concerning thing. It's like, wow, you're 30 years old, you've had all this success, you're making numerous pieces of content, not just this special about your mental state. I imagine that would be a really tough place to be in. Because as much as people like to joke about being old after 30, which is so ridiculous, it, it is something that's embedded in a lot of our mindsets of like, I'm old. But the truth is, unless he does decide to end his life or something out of his control happens and ends it, he has a lot more life to live. So if he's already feeling this way, and same question for you, because you're relatively young too, Jason, you've got a lot more years to go. And so what are you trying to achieve by moving or changing your financial situation? And, and what if you get both things and you still feel the same way that you do right now? Then what?
1: Well i have to examine certain factors that i feel like are contributing to my unhappiness and i'm pretty clear on what those factors are the exorbitant cost of living here in los angeles i have no desire to keep doing it the unbelievable level of noise and pollution and noise pollution you know basically like i don't want to live in a big city anymore i feel like my nervous system has been fried i feel like urban city living is not healthy for me mentally
0: I just want to pause you there because you've you've expressed this a lot on the show. So I, right. I I'm not but I, I, I think any of our I know this for sure and many of our listeners do. I'm asking the question specifically. We understand your reasons, but what if you move and you still don't feel any better? That's my question. Well,
1: then I guess I have more work to do on myself. I guess that's the answer. Cuz I don't expect moving to make me happy. Like let me say that. I don't expect a new car, a new house, a new relationship, fucking money, accolades, bullshit. Like, it's not. I've experienced enough change in terms of, I'll move to this place and I feel real good and I'll get this new car and I'll get this new relationship. Like, none of those are going to make me happy. I know that. But I know that my current situation, I don't feel good about. So, if I'm in a place with more nature, more trees, better air, better water, and I still feel this ambient level of anxiety or malaise... Well, at least my environment will be better. Like, I don't expect it to like, it's not going to magically change things. I know that. But I also know the feeling of when I'm done with something, like really fucking done. And that if I stay too long in a situation that I'm done with, it's like, it's like a congealing. It's like life drying up. It's like, you know. I've said this before, but like my relationship with LA is like a relationship I've been in too long past its expiration date and I'm ready to leave. I don't know what the next chapter is. That's why I haven't done it yet. But my point is, Whitney, I don't expect moving to Washington, Oregon, Costa Rica, whatever, to magically change my mental state. Like I'll never be depressed again and I'll never be anxious. Of course I'll be depressed. Of course I'll be anxious. But it's to me about honoring the end of a chapter that I know I'm done with and going to the next thing.
0: That makes sense.
1: And the reality is I don't know how I'm going to feel. You know, when I get to wherever I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to feel. But I know I don't feel great here.
0: Well, (laughs) that reminds me of that other TikTok video I sent you, Jason, about how it's a cliche that millennials, and in your case, Gen X, have this like deep connection with Washington and Oregon. And I honestly, as funny as that is, I wonder if it's because we have this fantasy that living in those places will make us feel better. And it, it, clearly you're not saying that, but I I wonder if there is some level of that, oh my gosh, the nature, the beauty, like let me go someplace where I'll feel better. Kind of like we saw so many people moving to Austin, Texas, and it became so cliche. As if like, if we go to this place, we will get, it. just like we felt about, Coming to Los Angeles in the first place, you know, there was this idea in each of our childhoods, mine and Jason's and maybe you, the listener, like moving to L.A. will give you this. And you've also done your what is it called, Jason, when you the astrological
1: astrocartography. cartography.
0: Thank you. We have at least one episode where we went deep into that, but Jason's brought it up in a few episodes of the show. So we'll link to that in our show notes, along with everything else we mentioned. So you don't have to go scrambling to find it all. If you go to wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, you'll find the full transcript for this episode and links to everything we mentioned. So you can easily go down the rabbit hole if you would like to, including what it means to have an astrocartography reading. You know, clearly places have an energy to them. Like right now I'm sitting here looking out over a good chunk of this neighborhood and I have palm trees, which I just see a palm tree and I feel happy. Like, you know what I mean? so clearly there are elements of your environment that make you feel good. I enjoy the weather. Like there's so much about LA, like the financial side of it. Unlike you, Jason, certainly it's expensive, but, it's not it's I've talked about this with my car like but my rent and my car payments are my two big expenses and certainly I could have a different car and pay less I could have no car and pay nothing I could live somewhere else and pay at least half of what I'm paying in rent and rent save so much money but but both are worth it for me right now in my life and that's for each person to decide like what is worth the struggle and that's only up for each of us to decide about this. And um, I just think it's an interesting reflection and something else that I took away from watching that Jason. It's like you could see this successful white young man in the special complaining, but what was, what I think he did really well, whether he intended this or not is you're not watching it thinking, ugh. you're not, at least for me, maybe it's because I'm white too, but, I wasn't sitting there rolling my eyes like, this guy's annoying. He's just complaining. What does he have to complain about? You know, like, I didn't feel that way. I actually felt simultaneously sympathetic towards him if that was real, but also seeing how this is very relatable. It is, as some people put it, relatable crisis, bleak humor. It is pointing out a lot of the problems that are affecting many of us. And he even acknowledges his white privilege in the special, which you know he did it in a very interesting way. And I think that's so important because white people do need to take an honest look at themselves and their privilege and seeing that articulated from another white person who's very self-aware was, was helpful for me as a white person that's trying, but he even says when he's, I think it was in that sock puppet vignette. Was it with the sock puppet? Like that to me almost had a little bit of like a subtle feeling of slavery or dominance or, you know, like that segment actually makes me very uncomfortable. There's like a or vignette. I like the word Jason. There was a couple of those that I wanted to skip over when I watched it the second and third time, but I actually thought, okay, the fact that I want to skip this, I should watch this and sit with my feelings. Like, why is this making me uncomfortable? And just see, like, I anthropomorphized that sock puppet. (laughs) Like, I felt so bad for it. Like, because it was under control and being dominated and tortured in some ways. And the sock puppet's talking about how he would rather be on Bo's hand than in the pile in the corner in that... Place between alive and dead. And like, he just said so many fascinating things. And like, Bo's playing this guy that's controlling this puppet. And like, you could think of the dominance of white men in this country. And like, you know, he, there are those moments, if you really read into what he's saying and implying, that are just like, whoa, this is very, very uncomfortable. You know, another thing I wrote down some of the statements, Jason, where he said, He's talking about how media companies exploit the neurochemical drama of our children for profit. And <laughs> how some people have flattened the human experience into a lifeless exchange of value that benefits nobody except for a handful of people in Silicon Valley. And you're like, whoa.
1: Ding, 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 ding. I mean, there were so many of those moments where you're like, damn. Like, the truth veiled thinly with comedy doesn't mean it's any less scathing, you know? And those truth bombs he dropped were like, yeah, I don't disagree with you, sir. I don't disagree with you.
0: And lots of commentary on entertainment. You know, that song that with the chorus a little bit of everything all of the time apathy is a tragedy and boredom is a crime and they're so catchy like you're sitting there singing along but again just like hamilton if you like really read the words and understand what he's saying you're like yeah the music is catchy but the lyrics are really saying something that we need to pay attention to about commercialization and exploitation and it's really confronting and that's, I think, why it's so important because maybe his aim in this, Jason, is he's touching upon what life is like in 2020 and, and 2021 when it was released and the state of what it is to be a young, white, successful man, a woman on Instagram, somebody who's being dominated or taken advantage of, somebody with mental health issues, the desire to, as he was saying, we, he has a desperate need to be seen as intelligent. And he's so worried about criticism that he levies it against himself before anyone else can. Like the touching upon the human experience, I think this is why people on TikTok, which are mainly Gen Z, are resonating because they're young, but very self-aware for the most part. And going back to the age thing, Jason, like part of me is glad that I didn't grow up in the way that Gen Z did. But part of me thinks, wow, what a advantage they have to be self-aware, to have this type of content out. Like if I had seen that when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, like for life to be pointed out and explained in that way, like I don't, I didn't have access to it if it was out, you know, but most kids can turn on Netflix and watch a special like this and then go through their TikTok feeds and hear people commenting and going, Wow. Okay. I can either sit here and to your point, Jason, like feel really sad and depressed, or maybe this will inspire me to go and make a shift.
1: There's a couple things I want to say. I was having a discussion with my mentor, Michael, because we have a bi-monthly group that gets together where we talk about, we talk about a lot of these topics in the group. And what I'm about to say could either inspire a feeling of liberation. And who gives a shit? Let's just do what we want to do. Or it could feel very morose. We were talking about creativity. We were talking about birthing things into the world and the pressure and anxiety and comparison and how ravaging it is mentally and emotionally to be an artist in the world, oftentimes, right? And what was brought up in the group was, and there are exceptions to this, okay? What I'm about to say Leonardo da Vinci, Mozart, whatever, okay? 300 years from now, we will be dead. Everyone we know and loved will be dead. And no one is going to fucking remember anything we did. Not saying that as a bleak thing. It wasn't phrased as a bleak thing. Again, up to interpretation. Because one could take, well, then, yeah, if I'm going to be dead and everyone I love is going to be dead and all the music and all the content and all the videos and the books and everything we've done will just be fucking gone. Probably. I don't want people to nitpick that. Well, what about the Library of Congress and blah blah? Like it's, we can probably estimate it'll be gone. Like the trace of us will be gone. We won't be remembered. We won't be revered. There'll be no statues of us. We'll just be gone. Now again, you could say that and go, God damn, that is bleak and morose or you could say well yeah so who gives a fuck let's just do whatever we want if no one's g- if no one's going to remember what we said thought did created and it's all just evaporated in the ethers again unless you're a luminary for all time like michelangelo wh- whatever you get what i'm saying so like that level of existential dread of our own demise can either to me, feel like, well, then what's the point? Why should I do anything? It doesn't fucking matter. Or, hey, I should do anything. It doesn't matter. I mean, again, a very kind of blank canvas statement, but it's important to consider that, I think. I don't know if that inspires a sense of meaning or a sense of meaninglessness. I guess it depends on your state and who's interpreting that comment, you know? But in a way, one could feel liberated by that, Whitney, you know? is like you put things out into the world and you know that on some level... They will be forgotten someday, and everyone who ever watched it will have forgotten about it, and none of it will matter. Like everything in my house, all my animals, all my loved ones will be gone, fucking gone 300 years from now. Just reality. It's neither good nor bad, but that's just the reality of the the situation we're in, right? And so I think existentially as human beings, we're kind of not – how do I say this? The self-awareness of our own mortality limits our freedom. Because animals, right, as far as we know, don't have an awareness of their own mortality, as an example, right? And you see how free they are. You see how free children are. But it's like once we have the awareness of mortality and that everything we loved, have, be, done, did, created will just be gone, it's an interesting frame on life, isn't it? When you consider trees, animals, plants, children don't have that frame on life. Adult humans do. And so I think the other thing, too, of, of watching this Bo Burnham special wit was this this article I read that was a commentary on it that we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. I don't want to read the whole article. I want to read the end of the article because the end of the article, a couple paragraphs, was the one that really kind of, I don't know, cut in a different way. So I just want to read that briefly because we're talking about kind of this this you know existential sort of thing. The sound of one hand clapping – If inside sounds like navel-gazing, then that's precisely Burnham's point. Whereas he once carefully used self-deprecation, setting up his own mythologies only to abruptly knock them down, now hurting himself is the focus of the entire project. Within ten minutes of inside, Burnham has questioned the importance of art in a time of transition, unpacking his white privilege and umming and eyeing over whether or not to stay silent and hand the floor to someone else. And when he does decide to keep going, it's not out of a shared idea of the good. It's because without something to do, he's bored, suicidal, and depressed. This is the Burnham modus operandi laid bare. Say something audacious and then reveal the deeply craven and self-interested reasons for that audacity. It's a constant wheeling back and forth between stating a premise and then stating the counter-premise, the flow forever being interrupted until a lopsided rhythm of destruction is established. Perhaps in the hands of another artist, such cycles would grow boring and easy to predict. But Bo Burnham is smart enough to know when he's required to shake things up, just as the audience needs them most. Hot streaks of sincerity come piercing out of the melange of self-hatred and malaise. A song about FaceTiming with your mom, a vulnerable monologue delivered into a mirror, a spoof educational ditty for children that left turns into a Marxist anthem about exploitation and bloodshed. When all is said and done, inside is not an assemblage of ideas, it's an assemblage of images, the most striking of which sees Bo Burnham seated in front of one of his earliest YouTube videos, his back to the camera, the vision of an artist assessing himself, his purpose, and his reasons for continuing, and coming up with his hands painfully empty. I want to read this last part. If inside has an overall point, it's that the search for the ultimate, most truthful version of yourself is impossible. Authenticity isn't so much the enemy of inside as much as it is its unreachable destination. These skits and songs about fake woke marketing executives and Instagram feeds of white women probe at the essential non-essence of people, how often we lie to ourselves, and how difficult it is to work out thoughts, which, which of ones are our own, and which thoughts have we cribbed from the oversaturated, overstimulated world around us. When you strip away the contingent parts of yourself, the noise, the desire for attention, the deafening cry of your social media, what are you left with? According to Bo Burnham, the answer is simple. Not much of anything at all. Of course, the horror that comes with searching for something real and stable within ourselves will be familiar to anyone who's tried to reinvent themselves during the pandemic. That makes inside a pandemic work of art, but only tangentially. The isolation of lockdown is the prism of inside, not its focus. The means through which our failure to connect with any internal stability makes itself terrifyingly clear. And then what do we do when we're confronted with the vacuum at the center of our being? Bo Burnham doesn't know. The final image of inside isn't some triumphant thesis or denouement. It's a portrait of an artist slipping further into the fake watching an audience, watching a screen, watching himself, the sound of artificial endorsement ringing out over a suddenly black screen. After all, what can you do but laugh? How does that make you feel hearing that, Whitney? I mean, on some level, it's like, do we ever really actually know who we are? Can we ever actually get to the truest version of ourselves? Or is it all just a cry for attention and success and notoriety? I mean, it brings up a lot of layers, doesn't it? And I think about this often, not just as an artist or a musician or a podcast host or content creator. Who the fuck am I really? Like, who am I? And is what I'm creating, to your point, you know, as the years that I've had on the TV show and YouTube, you know, hey, guys, it's Jason Robel and we're going to make this create. That's who is that? Who's the person judging that person? What's underneath that? Who am I? What does authenticity even mean anymore? I mean, I, I think my biggest thing coming away from this is I don't know that I feel better about myself or the state of life after watching this. In some ways, I kind of feel worse. Like maybe the whole thing is hopeless and fucked. And maybe if it is hopeless and fucked, we should just do what we want anyway. I I don't I'm still unpacking my emotional response to watching this, Whitney, because it's so layered and it's so nuanced, and there's so much going on about the mirror in which we view ourselves and view our life. But that part about authenticity and can we ever actually get to the core of who we are as people? I don't know that that's achievable. I don't know that that there is an end point to that journey, right? I don't know. Well, with that being said, we want to encourage you, dear listener, if you feel compelled by the perspectives we shared to watch inside and comment You know, whether that's on our show notes for this episode at WellEvator.com, whether that's shooting us a direct message and sharing your thoughts and feelings. I am personally definitely going to watch it a second time. I want to watch it with my girlfriend, Laura, because I definitely want to see the lens through which she interprets this also as an artist and creative person. So I will definitely have more thoughts, I'm sure, and more impressions. We do want to tell you about something really fun that we just launched recently. It's a private podcast called This Hits the Spot. If you have been with us any length of time, you know that we do product reviews and we're uh, we're changing it up in a different way and, and doing our product reviews differently.
0: Well, part of that is because we recognize that this podcast can get really heavy, <laughs> as this episode has. So I just wanna you know, soften the transition and not to be like, hey guys, let's get into something else now. I mean, we'll put in the show notes a link to resources to support people with with their mental health. We take that very, very seriously. We are not mental health professionals in like a certified sense. So we provide resources that are. And we are here as friends. We are here to be in this with you, in all this messiness. And as Jason mentioned, we created a new podcast because we wanted to give you something light, Oftentimes we talk about products and, you know, it's not meant to be commercial too. I think I really love talking about things I try, Jason, and things that make me feel better. It's like comfort food. That was, if you've listened to um, some of our recent episodes, we were trying to figure out the right spot. And initially I wanted to call the podcast comfort food, but we decided against it because we're not just talking about food and that title wasn't quite the right one. So we went with this hits the spot because we all know that feeling when something hits the spot, it makes you feel good. It's like, ah, this is what I really needed. And we're hoping to steer you away from self-destructive things and give you alternatives that are good for your well-being in the long term. So whether you're sitting on, on the couch watching Netflix and you want some comfort food, whether you need to take the weight off of your shoulders through a supplement or a service. you know. So Jason, to add on, it's not just about products. It's about anything basically that you could buy or sign up for free. And some things we'll mention, we'll get commissions on and full transparency. We'll always tell you about that, but we are not motivated by the finances. Those are just a little cherry on top. We do offer up this new podcast to two types of people. One, people who sign up for our newsletter list, which is completely free. So all you do is go to our website. We will link to the podcast page for This Hits the Spot. And all you do is type in your email address. You're giving us some of your data. That gives us an opportunity to connect with you. If you do not want to give us that data, that's completely fine. We just ask you to contribute something on Patreon for as little as $2 a month, and that money goes towards funding this show, funding our new show, funding any of our endeavors to support people with their mental health and emotional well-being, and we are grateful for that. So we wanted to give you something extra as a little token of our appreciation, but also something else that's fun. And I loved recording that episode with you, Jason. I'm so happy about our first episode. It went a little longer. My initial thought with This Hits a Spot is it'll be like closer to five minutes, but the first episode's a little over 20. So now I'm hoping if we can bring it back down to like maybe 10 minutes, great. But we'll see what happens. We don't have a time limit per se. It did bring me joy. Did it bring you joy, Jason? Like You know, that's one thing I'm thinking about after I watch Inside is, you know, you see the... What goes into creating those fun little catchy jingles that Bo Burnham writes? Like, it's not always fun in games. They might be fun to watch, but the creation process is a journey. And I was thinking as we were recording this episode, like, hmm, I wonder if Jason's going to want to sing the jingles that we did in the first version of This Hits the Spot. And I think we should just flow with it. I will say, though, that your little jingle on episode one of This Hits the Spot got stuck in my head. And if I start thinking about it, it's going to get stuck in my head again. So I encourage the listener to go listen to that, whether you do that through signing up for our newsletter or Patreon, your choice, but you can get that episode. And by the time you listen to this one, there's probably going to be another episode. Our aim is to do one a week, short and sweet, quick on their feet. (laughs) little throwback to another part of that episode, Inside Joke, if you have not listened to it yet.
1: Well. I'm glad that I could provide earworms that uh, continue to haunt you in your sleep. That's a good sign. That's, a good, that's good kudos for a songwriter. So if you're going to come for the uh, recommendations, definitely come for the improvised songs because I'm going to be doing a lot more music on that, on This Hits the Spot. With that said, you can find all the things, as Whitney mentioned, our website is wellevator.com. Our email is hello at wellevator.com. You can shoot us DMs on Instagram, on our social media feeds. And that's it for now. I'm going to go put some deodorant on and a clean shirt and try and make make myself presentable to the outside world. Wish me luck, everyone. Till next time.